Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Coming up, Lab, Will, and I celebrate what should have been Masters Week with a look back at our favorite moments and the best traditions from last year at Augusta National. While we all have to wait to see who wears the green jacket later this year, Golf Channel is celebrating the Masters all week long with a full lineup of special programming, showcasing the most historic wins and compelling stories from Augusta National Golf Club. Relive your favorite moments all week long on Golf Channel. Welcome to the Golf Channel podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with the new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it in the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, before we get started, boys, I posted uh, kind of an informal poll on Twitter yesterday. Uh, that was before the golf world came unglued with an onslaught of schedule adjustments that we all had to run off with our hair on fire and adjust to. And essentially, it was the top five things I'm going to miss the most pretty, pretty much this week. Now, before we get into last year, we want to focus on Tiger Woods' victory. Before we get into that, I want to hear from each one of you. Lab, you go first. The top five things you're going to miss. Go. Well, you really put me on the spot. Um, that was the point. Are these supposed to be in order? I mean, Please. I can I can put them in order. For, uh, uh, n- number one, uh, just selfishly, is our is our Sunday pre Masters round at at Palmetto Golf Club. I absolutely love it. Look forward to it uh, every single year. That's always a highlight for me. Uh, we basically have the golf course to ourselves. It's one of the top five courses I've ever played in my life. It's such a fun strategic test. Uh, I always really enjoy that time before you know, a, a week that's, that's busier than, than any other that we have as, as golf writers. Number two, um, I'd say actually covering the event. I mean, that's what I look forward to. I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy the storylines. It, it, Sunday at Masters never disappoints. So that was, is an obvious number two to me. And then three through five, can I just do food? Sure. Uh, because I, I enjoy an egg salad. I enjoy a chicken biscuit. Uh, and I enjoy the peach ice cream sandwich. So those would be three, four, and five in that order. That list says so much about you. Cat, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Willie, your turn. Uh, it's tough to follow up on that. Uh, I will agree with Lab. Uh, Palmetto is a gem. Uh, top five is, is high praise, but I definitely put it in the top ten. And that's always a fun one. Um, I'm team egg salad, so I'll go with the egg salad. I think the Georgia peach ice cream is overrated, but we'll save that podcast oh. for today. Too much yeah. cookie. The, the peach ice cream is great. There's too much cookie involved. Uh, but to your question, properly. Think, well, listen, this is all about opinions, right? You had your chance. You you went with the other food items. 
Uh, I think, you know, some of the, the, the first, when you first get on the grounds and like looking down from the 10th tee and just seeing that for the first time every year and, and seeing the bank of phone booths over by the entrance and by the, by the merchandise tent, because you don't see a lot of pay phones anymore. Uh, that's certainly uh, one. And just getting out to Amen Corner, getting to those bleachers on 12 and kind of taking it in, soaking in the scene. I would, I would have that high on my list as well. I would say, and I would say number six, honorable mention six is what is, is walking around the golf course and looking enviously at everyone who's drinking a beer and just soaking in the scene while we, while we're actually working. That would be, that actually might be number three. Are you trying to actually engender sympathy for you having to work as a press member at the Masters? Yeah, that, that's a good look. That, that's a really good look there. And there was, there was one year, I w- I'm not going to say which year, 2015, uh, in which during the uh, Masters Part 3 contest, I actually did take a beer and just walk around, and it was absolutely glorious. Other than, that, I've, I've, other than that, I've been completely sober while covering the Masters. Let's hope the bosses don't listen to this podcast. Drinking on the job, Lab. That, that's a good look as well. I was, I was done for the day. I get it. I get it. Uh, Kaz points out a very, very solid point. And on my top five list, pimento cheese sandwiches. I know, Willie, they're not your favorite, nope. but I'm going to keep it on mine. And the chicken salad is absolutely divine. All right, let's get to the 2019 Masters uh, Lab. You and I had vastly different vantage points, and we wrote this, and I, I thought it was an interesting way that we ended up covering the tournament. Uh, you went kind of w- with the straight emotion of the moment. I remember talking with guys – early in my career about what it was like. I did not cover the 1986 Masters, but, I, but what it was like when Jack won. That's and shocking since you're so old. It is, yeah. I knew you were going there with that one. And so the idea was it was too big to write. There was a lot of anxiety. I, I, and I think I felt a little bit of that last year. Did you feel it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you always, you always want to write up to the enormity of the moment. Um, it, I'm not sure we ever actually live up to that, but, but you want to be satisfied with, with, with what you end up filing on on Sunday night, I, you know, I'm not sure I can't speak for you, but you know, I was, I was a little bit underwhelmed by what I turned in on, on Sunday, just because it, it felt like that's the biggest tournament we're ever going to cover in, in our, in our lives. I'm, I'm 32. You're uh, what are you? 51. Something like that. Go on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the likelihood that we're going to have a tournament that's bigger than that, other than Tiger potentially winning his 19th major, which I think we can all agree is a, uh, is, is a long shot. Uh, we're, we're likely to never see such a momentous major tournament um, in our lifetimes. And so in that respect, you just, you just want to write something that's at least somewhat memorable, that somewhat captures the emotion. You, you're right. We went completely different vantage points. You camping out uh, in the clubhouse, talking to players in the, in the dining room there. I was out on the golf course basically the entire time. I, I wrote on golfchannel.com this week. I missed every single minute of the telecast. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And we can go into that a little bit further here. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of went for talking to people in Tiger's inner circle and emotion angle and just sights and sounds of, of listening into golf fans while you were kind of picking the brains of, of players and trying to put it in the proper perspective. Willie, how about you, pal? Yeah, I definitely think that anytime you get to a, a Sunday at a major, there's a little bit of pressure just from our side of things to, to live up to the moment. And that's when you feel like, you know, the players are, are offering their best stuff and you as writers need to offer your best stuff as well. And there was definitely that hour or two on, on Sunday. And it was so a little bit disjointed because those tea times were moved up. So you were doing this in the middle of the day as opposed to when we're used to doing it at, at six or seven at night. But you said, wow, this is really going to happen. And you realize that, that it's sinking in and that you need to deliver for for what is as lab pointed out a momentous occasion and and lab and i you know we were together for a couple holes on the 
on the back nine, the second nine, as they say. And then I kind of split off and I was, I was talking to a lot of fans, just kind of soaking in the moment and, and writing from that perspective of the instant history and, and knowing that you were there for this breakthrough victory for Tiger and what brought you there and what it was like. But, but there were definitely those emotions as he started to progress down that, down the stretch there where you're like, wow, this is, this is really going to happen. And I need to uh, bring my best to, to equal the moment. Yeah, I never equal the moment, so I didn't have any expectations at all to do that. But the one thing that I and I agree with Lab on this, and I, I watched that final round the other day as well because I, I did. I camped out in the grill. I kind of wanted to see what it was like watching Tiger's, you know, family and friends. They were all sort of holed up in a table in the corner. And normally in this situation, players kind of come and go through the grill when they're done with the round, and they're they're always packing up. They want to get out of town. They want to get to the next tournament. They want to get home. Whatever the case may be. And I was just taking by the fact that nobody was leaving. Everyone was watching. I mean, from John Rahm to Justin Thomas to Jordan Spieth to Ricky Fowler, all of them came off the golf course and just watched because they knew they were watching history. And it was such a unique scene that, that I decided to go ahead and write with it. And the best part was to, to go back, and, and I've got your back here at lab. Uh, Justin Thomas had a hole in one that day, and he did buy a round for the bar, and I was included in that. So you, you aren't the only one that cheated. Boy, that actually is, makes a lot of sense when I read that Sunday copy. Yeah, yeah, Revelatory here. This is yeah. all the all the secrets are coming out now. Yeah, very very good. Well, I, but the one thing that did stand out, and you're absolutely right, Lab. When you go back and you watch it, there were so many little things that happened that I didn't see because I was too busy kind of trying to take in the scene inside the grill. But and I ended up doing this story yesterday on GolfChannel.com about how pivotal the twelfth hole was, and talking to all the players who stepped to that tee, and we always kind of look at it and look, there's been plenty of history made on that hole from Jordan Speed to Fred Couples. We, we, we can play the hole in our mind over and over again. This year, you don't get an opportunity very often to say, okay, this was the moment when Tiger won the tournament. And I love the fact I was talking with Francesco Moner's swing coach, Dennis Pugh, who was reliving the moment and talking about what Francesco did. He hit an eight iron and he didn't give it enough on the left-hand side of the green, which is where you need to be when that pins on the right side to play it safe. And he was taking his drop after hitting it in the creek and Tiger was standing on the green and he was glaring back at him. And he said, it was the moment that Tiger was Tiger again. It was when it was Tiger at his best because I, I love this line from Stuart Sink. He told me once that Tiger's the best at playing prevent defense. And that means I'm going to get a lead or I'm going to get tied for the lead and I'm going to watch all of you fall away. But I think you really have to start with the story of the masters just before that final round started. Sure. I mean, if, if you, if you think back to that Saturday night, what was the main thing that we were all talking about? We were all talking about the fact that Tiger Woods was going to have five hours less time for his battered body to recover. Well, that and I didn't get pulled in the lottery, so we were also talking about that. But yes, well, Tiger yeah. Woods. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that was that was a huge deal, and this is this is before we even knew about the knee injury, which apparently he he'd been battling for for about a year. You know, we just thought, boy, you know, he's going to have to wake up at three forty-five a.m to get started for this 920 start. I mean, it was, it, it just seems so unlikely on such a soft golf course, a quick turnaround, the Sunday pressure. We didn't know physically if Tiger was going to be able to, to handle himself in that moment. And just rewatching the coverage, you, know, you could see on the first and second holes, he was, he was stretching out his lower back. He was stretching out his neck. He was, he was, he was even stretching out his right thigh. It just seemed like it took him a little bit of time to get going. And that's why I think he wasn't particularly sharp over those, you know, first four or five holes. Yeah. But Lav, remember we were looking at that as a potential negative for Tiger from a physical standpoint, but from the mental standpoint, the split tees and threesomes got him in that final group. 
And as you mentioned in, in the article you wrote about re-watching the broadcast, he was playing mind games. Like that was definitely a plus for him, standing in front of the tee box of Molinari on six and not talking to Finau the entire day. Those are sort of, you know, things that played into his hand, even watching him warm up before that final round. You could sense he was not talking to anyone. He was in game mode. And so I think that that definitely helped him from the mental side, even though clearly we were talking Saturday night, like, wow, this is going to be to his detriment from a physical perspective. Well, and the part that gets me, and I guess this is the question I have for both of you in retrospect, and look, I think we all had a huge amount of appreciation for what he accomplished. But now in retrospect, knowing what we know that there were even more physical issues that he was dealing with, is it even more impressive? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that any part of, of what happened that day is is beyond impressive when you when you look at it, because I don't think that it's it's not like his back wasn't hurting. It's not like his body wasn't battered. Look at what happened the next two months. He, he was unable to physically recover from the magnitude of the moment. And he was basically shot all summer. So, yeah, I think that, that clearly he put everything he had into that round, into that week. It paid off. He got the green jacket, but he paid a price for it afterwards. Yeah, I think, we, I think when you when you when you look big picture, it, it has to it has to go down as either one A or one B for his most impressive performances ever. When you, I think when the completion of the Tiger Slam uh, was was certainly incredible. But but this just from a different standpoint. But actually, like actually watching the performance and the five hour round, to me, it was a little surprising in the sense that he didn't play great. Like he didn't he didn't play great at all, really. And he had a lot of help. And that's why I think over the past 12 months, every time Tiger talks about the masters, he talks about, it was a special week. It was a perfect week where everything came together. If you look at the way that he played in the final round, it was not beautifully done. I mean, he, he made the birdie on three, he back-to-back bogeys on, on four and five. He bogeyed number five, all four rounds. I totally forgot about that. Uh, He didn't putt particularly well, but as I wrote in the story, he won that golf tournament with how he played numbers 11 through 17. Sure. And in particular, he did so with his iron play and his distance control where other guys were making crucial mistakes and not being able to get up and down or putting themselves out of position off the tee. He was pin high. He was on the right side of the, of the hole. He was in position to attack. He was able to pick up a couple of birdies and let everyone fade away. I had not fully realized or appreciated how many guys scared the lead, and then promptly faded away. Oh, when I was doing the story on number 12, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Tony Fino, Francesco Molinari, Cantlay, Ian Poulter, Jason Day. You can go keep going Ricky. down the list of guys who flirted with the lead at one point or at least got within a stroke or two. And once you, if you're there on the back nine on Sunday, we all know that that's exactly where you want to be. I, I think the amazing, and this is going to be me being a prisoner of the moment, but you, you said 1A, 1B. I'm going to call it 1A because there's a level of appreciation that he has, regardless of the level of appreciation that we as the media or fans might have towards this. It was a level of appreciation that he had, that you could feel it that night in his post-round press conference that I've never experienced with him before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's fair. And I do think that the moment kind of sunk in at the same time for everyone that was on the grounds, for us that were there, the patrons that were there, and even the players, as you, as you watched you know, the broadcast, you saw Tiger kind of it's sunk in on him as well. And, and Lav, I think going back to your point, when you, if there was a low point for Tiger, it was after the tee shot on 11. He had just bogeyed 10. He was a couple shots back. He sprays it a mile and a half right on 11. And this thing was really about to get away from him. All of a sudden, he hits this one rescue shot that gets him back on the green. 
everyone hits it in the water on 12 and the thing turns on a dime. And from there, he did not miss a shot. But I do think that those 60 to 90 minutes that followed, you could sense a, a sense of realization with Tiger. He's looking around and he's saying, wow, all these pieces are falling into place. The right guys are making bogeys. I'm hitting the right shots where I need to. And this really is going to happen. And I really want to hone in on that stretch because to me, that was, you know, being there on the ground, it was a different experience than, than what you could see on the broadcast. So on, on the broadcast, which is how it was actually playing out, Brooks Kepka hits, hits it at Ray's Creek on 12. Tiger Woods at the time is blocked out in the trees and the, in the right trees on number 11. He could have no sense whatsoever what is happening ahead of him. He's got this really risky shot that he's, he's attempting to pull off here. You know, if he pulls it, he's in the pond on 11. If he pushes it too far right, he's got a delicate pitch. I mean, there's, there's a lot to handle. As, as you mentioned, he just bogeyed 10, didn't want to get away from him here. And so Tiger's mentioned several times that he was able to discern that both Brooks and Poulter put it in the water on 12. And so as he's walking up to the green on 11 and cameras captured him doing so in just a matter of seconds, he was able to think a kept good, come up short B he'd likely used a nine iron because tiger said that Brooks flights his irons and, and he's longer with his irons than he is. And that three tiger knew that yes, he was going to hit nine, but also that he needed to go further left and hit it over the tongue of the bunker. Cause just like the players ahead of him and eventually the players with him, he wouldn't have been able to, to carry the flag if he, if he'd gone at it with a nine iron. He did all of that in a matter of seconds as he was playing the 11th hole. That just, to me, speaks to his golf IQ, which, which remains the absolute best in the game, that he was able to process all of that so quickly, and that's what won in the tournament. Well, there's also a lot of history involved there. He had played that hole enough in, in very, very similar conditions where he knew exactly what to do and what not to do. Everyone else seemed to want to take a little bit less club, be a little aggressive. And I think it's fascinating. Someone once explained to me, Racing Day explained to me, that that tee box actually aimed you to the right. So everything about that shot, the pin is cut on the far right, the tee box is aiming you to the right. Everything about that shot is screaming for you to go at that pin. And yet Tiger in this situation, and that's institutional knowledge, was able to sit back. And you're right. He processes a thing so quickly and so much differently, I think, than other players. I thought it was fascinating. He said Tony Finau actually hit the best shot out of the entire group. He just absolutely crushed it, and he caught a puff of wind and ended up coming up short, and he was in Ray's Creek. So it's all of these little things that had to go his way that's amazing to me. Yeah, I, I, this just has me thinking back to, you know, what it was like being, being there that week and, and on that Sunday. And I know, so Lav and I walked out as the leaders were on 10. They made the turn. He and I both decided to leave the press building. We got down there as basically as Tiger's chipping out sideways on 10. And we were back behind the 12th tee as all this was happening. And you couldn't, at that point, of course, it's packed. And so we are trying to gauge who hit it in the water based on the sound of the gallery. Like we knew, well, that's not a Tiger grown. It had to be someone else other than Tiger once it got to, to Molinari and Finau and, and even before that with, with Kepka and Poulter. And that's just sort of the, the hidden perceptions of Augusta National and the Masters and, and how you have to live your life as a journalist without a cell phone in your pocket and without, without a live stream uh, on your hip there that you're trying to read the, read the crowd and read the, the manual scoreboards that are all around there. And, and it, was, it was certainly quite a moment to take in, but it was moving very, very quickly. Yeah, and, was, this, and this might be inside golf media. I'm not sure listeners actually care about this. Oh, bring it. Come on. But 
I mean, the Masters is unlike any other golf tournament that that we cover. Normally, we're we're inside the ropes. We can we can hear key exchanges if if we want to. You know, it's a it's a situation where um, we have players at our disposal. We have our cell phones. We have social media. We're we're able to stay locked into the action. Here, we're we're just like everybody else. You know, we're we're talking to to other patrons to find out information. We're waiting for the hand operated leaderboards to update and as will said you know once once frankie puts that in the drink you know you can hear the anticipation build because they know that the tournament was just broken wide open and you know we were we were on 12 but i promise you if you were standing on 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 and they see the double go on the board for for molinari they're they're starting to they're starting to whisper and and gossip there that 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 tiger might actually win this thing but it, the, the trickle down effect, it takes, I mean, it takes five, 10 minutes before you actually before you realize yeah. what had actually happened. All right, well, let's walk it back. And I know you kind of touched on what we were talking about on Saturday night. And you're right. It was going to be a very, very quick turnaround. And that obviously was going to factor into Tiger. I think we're forgetting also Francesco had a two stroke lead. And he was Francesco Molinari, who was an entirely different player at the time. He had won the Open Championship. He had dominated the U.S. in the Ryder Cup. He had won Tigers event in D.C. the year before. I mean, all of these things that made him such an impressive player. We were having the conversation that I don't see, think Tiger can beat him. He's too good. It, ain't, it isn't going to happen. And yet now we fast forward a year and think how much that narrative has changed. That I don't think Francesco's even come close to winning anything since then, has he? No, and you also have to have a top ten. He won Bay Hill too the, the month before, and and so you you definitely had a world beater phenomenon, and, and you felt like Molinari might have had the secret sauce when it when it came to trying to beat Tiger. And I think that the stark contrast that we've had over the last twelve months just shows how much emotion goes into these sort of events and into these sort of rounds, and how it broke one way for Tiger and it broke the other way for Frank. Well, and you look at I mean these were the players we were saying in in our conversations on Saturday night that Tiger had to beat. To win the Masters, if you look down that third round leaderboard, it was Tony Finau. He was tied with Tiger for second. Brooks Kepka was in fourth. Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson was seventh. It's all these. It's the cast of characters that we said in this new age of Tiger Woods post all these surgeries. Not sure he could beat them anymore, and he beat them all, and he did it in a very quintessential way. Do you think that that Francesco was intimidated by Tiger? That was that was something I'd explored explored previously for our our Tiger comeback project. It, it's something that I looked into. Here, I mean, there's certain examples of, of Tiger playing mind games, and this is something that he's done for the past 10, 15, 20 years. You know, it's just it's little things of, of putting out first and or, or arriving to the tee last to get the, the loudest cheer, just kind of making it uncomfortable for the players. And if you look back on six, he was standing in front of the tee markers. You know, you could make the case that when Francesco goes up to look at the flag one last time for his target, he can just see that little glimpse of Tiger red. But something on on 12 and you you'd mentioned it, it previously but tiger made his way to the green on 12 right after frankie and tony finau put it in the water and that moment had become kind of a a, a capstone in that then that tiger was glaring back at them as they were sorting out their drops right he was just kind of glaring at them and he was kind of in their peripheral vision it was it was that, the tiger glare absolutely that was the tiger glare however on the broadcast which i thought was really interesting it it didn't seem to me that Tiger was necessarily doing it because he was trying to intimidate them. He was doing it, at least how it came across on the broadcast, like he wanted to give himself more time. He he asked if they had blowers up on the green. You can see him at one point, and I captured it 
in the story, he's he's removing some of the leaves. They clearly didn't have a blower. Removing some of the leaves with his putter as he looked back as they were trying to sort out their drops. Do you think that was intentional to intimidate, or do you think it just so happened to look that way and that he was actually just doing some gardening? See, I think a lot of this stuff and a lot of, of how we interpret the final round and Tiger's antics, well, antics might be a strong word, but, but his behaviors are predicated on how it ended up. That So do I think that, that Molinari was intimidated? Maybe there were a couple of things here and there uh, that, that maybe got in his, in his kitchen, but I don't think that it, it was this huge schism that it turned out to be. I think a lot of that is Monday morning quarterbacking and maybe looking back and saying, hey, what happened? Why wasn't I able to, to hold it together? Why wasn't I able to hit the shots that I needed to. And then all of a sudden you start leaning a lot more on, well, what type, what did Tiger do and what did he say and how did he act? And so I think that that, that might be something that if, if Tiger goes and shoots a 71 and finishes T3, we're not going to think that these, these moves and him standing in front of the T box on six really amount to that much. It's the fact that, that the results played out as they played out, that gives those more meaning and, and maybe less so that the, the events cause those, those results. And to, to watch the broadcast back, because, you know, walking on the golf course, you can't see every single shot uh, as, as much as you want to. It was shocking to me how poorly Francesco actually was playing. Yeah. Like, he, had a, he had a two-way miss going. He was hitting like these sky flails to the, to the right. He was unbelievable scrambling. When he, when he made bogey on seven, it snapped a streak of 50 consecutive holes um, without a drop shot. And so the shot that he hit on 12 – was the miss that he'd had all day, just kind of that soft, spinny right shot that that just absolutely comes out with no heat. The well, it was just like Jordan Spieth from a few years ago. And Jordan actually told us, I've been talking about this all week. It just manifested itself on Sunday. But yes, it's that weak sort of push out to the right. Absolutely. And the shot that, that really doomed Francesco, because he was, I mean, he was still tied for the lead with four holes to play. Pinecone. It was this high sky to the right with his drive on, 15 they cbs didn't even show the layup but the layup pine was cone pine cone red. pine cone the layup was absolutely terrible to miss it in the in the first cut on the left hand side it had absolutely no angle there was no green to work with and oh yeah there was that damn overhanging uh pine tree that eventually knocked down his ball and, and led to a double bogey that led to his dispiriting uh what fourth place finish well and i don't know to, to go back to your original question i don't particularly know that does Tiger do these things on purpose? I, yes. I think earlier in his career, he probably did. I mean, this was probably Earl Woods and the young Tiger and make, making the most of this sort of our, this veil that was around him. He had this armor that no one could really see through. In, this, in, in that particular situation on 12, he probably wasn't sitting there glaring back, but that's what stood out if you sit and sat and watch that. And I think you could probably look at that across the course of the entire round. There were moments, certainly on the ninth green, where – he looked like he was invincible all over again. I mean, it's pretty amazing. All right, before we get out of here, boys, the Masters will be played this year, as it stands now. It'll be played in November, early November. What are we looking forward to most, Lav? Uh, seeing a Masters amid the fall foliage, I think it'll be absolutely spectacular. I think uh, there's ways that Augusta National can prepare the course where it's going to look as close as it possibly could to the second week of April. Um, but you're gonna, you're certainly gonna have a few more leaf blowers to to deal with. But I think it's it's going to look absolutely spectacular. And I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is actually having a Masters tournament. Going back and watching the whole nearly six hour presentation by CBS really made me long for Masters week. And 
you know, it was it was kind of crushing to know that we weren't going to get it this week. And I I hope everything goes well. I hope the pandemic is it goes and, and gets out of here, and we can get we can resume some sense of normalcy, and we can have a Masters tournament. I think you know we did the podcast earlier this week. We're we're all you know uh, optimistic, cautiously optimistic that this will actually happen. But to to have a Masters tournament at the end of this year with another Masters five months after that uh, would be absolutely spectacular. Optimism doesn't cost anything, Lav. Remember that. It does, it's free. And I've already, been told, you have already used that cliche once this week. You, you are, you are there's tapped a limit. out. There's a limit. And I have been told by folks in Augusta that they do have azaleas that bloom in the fall. So just see so you have that coming for you. Willie, what are you going to look forward to the most? Yeah, I have great faith in their ability to get the azaleas to bloom whenever they want them to bloom. Um, as, as Lav said, you know, certainly hoping that this all comes, comes to fruition as it is now planned. But, but I think there's great anticipation with going into this knowing it's basically golf's version of a unicorn that in all likelihood we're, we're never going to have we're going into this for the first time ever we're never going to have another fall masters just the, the novelty of that setup knowing that it's going to be a one-off in all likelihood and and seeing how the course reacts how the players react what the field looks like who was playing well in march that maybe isn't playing well in november and vice versa there are so many so many you know storylines to unfold but i do think that that more than anything just having competitive golf back and being able to the stroll into the that press building at, in Augusta would be a treat in and of itself. All right. Well, that'll do it for our Masters talk today. But Golf Channel has you covered all week. Uh, we'll have, while we have to wait to see who wears the green jacket this year, Golf Channel is celebrating the Masters all week long with a full lineup of special programming, showcasing the most historic wins and compelling stories from Augusta National Golf Club. Relive your favorite Masters moments all week long on Golf Channel. See you next time on the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.